six series of Bible studies leading up to Pentecost. Um, we're excited about it. I hope everybody has had time in their busy week to, um, to go over the, the lesson. If not, when I call on you, you're going to be really in trouble. No, um, just a couple of things before we open in prayer. We really want to encourage everybody to participate. And uh, I know some folks maybe don't like to be, you know, speaking in public and on a microphone, but I just encourage you to, to get over that a little bit. Just read what you've, what you've written. Um, and then certainly some of the questions we know as uh, have been commented to me a few times is like, these were personal questions. I don't know if I want to share these. If you're not comfortable sharing them, that's fine. Um, we'll just share them for you. <laughs> no, please, please don't do anything that is really going to make yourself you know, uncomfortable. This is supposed to be an opportunity for us to learn from one another and for people like me to talk less and for you guys to talk a little bit more. So, um, so that, uh, I think that does it. Oh, and, and if you would, uh, also don't be on the other end of the spectrum. And don't, Glenda's pointing a can, I don't know why she's, <laughs> but you know, don't spend 10 minutes on one answer. We've got a lot of questions to get through, so, so if, if you can, just kind of be aware of the time and how, how long you are talking for. All right. Brethren, if you would, just uh, please bow your heads and we'll start with prayer. Eternal Father, we just come to you this on your Sabbath day. Uh, Father, doing something uh, a little new and a little old. Uh, we used to do these Bible studies uh, a while ago, many years ago, and we're reintroducing them again, uh, Father, so that we can uh, together study your word and, and draw from the experiences of one another, the insights that each other can give. And Father, we just ask that you would open our minds and our hearts to your word and open our ears to, to the instructions and to the, the, the word that can come forth from, from each one of us as you have affected our lives and guided us in this Christian way and this path that we are on towards a future day, a future Pentecost and a future kingdom of God and, and everything that we look forward to. So, Father, as we start this Bible study, we just ask that you'd help us to overcome our fears, help us to be comfortable in sharing what we've learned, and we just pray, Father, that everything would be done according to your will and to your glory. We just give you thanks and pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd just like to start off really quickly um, with a scripture that, that came to mind this morning as I was just kind of getting ready. How do I give a little introduction to this? Because we've all done the study, right? We've all done the study. So we know what the topics are, and we know what, what the questions are and our answers, and we'll, we'll get into those. But um, one of the scriptures that's come to mind is, is in uh, Romans chapter 10, and verse 14. Paul says, How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him? whom they have not heard. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And it's interesting that we're not really doing some preaching right now, but we are. We're telling forth, right? We're sharing, we're speaking out what we have learned this week in the study to one another. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it, written, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings 
of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah, as Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? And we just read that a few weeks ago, didn't we, at, at Passover. Who has believed our report? We have believed the report. So, then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And that's what we're here for. And that's why we're, we're doing this six-week study, is so that we can add to our faith. And so I think it was appropriate that we started this first lesson on faith. So, I want to just jump into the question. The idea of this study is to, it's question-driven, and would really like to hear what you thought of Exodus 16, verses 1 through 8. And uh, we have Curtis and Steve that's going to be walking around with microphones, so raise your hand, Trevor. I just wanted to start out by saying thank you for organizing the Bible studies. They were very um, informative, thought-provoking, and I think it's a great way to engage the whole church together. Um, that being said, I think, at least with this first part, the recurring theme I noted was the Israelites' testing of God and you know, their accusations and railing against God, specifically that you've just brought me into this wilderness of sin to kill me. You don't have good things in store for me. You know, you're here to murder me and torture me. And that was a recurring theme and the frustration on God's part as a father in rescuing his people of, you guys just don't get it. So I, I think that was throughout that whole initial, you know, Exodus 16, 17, and 32. So those are just my thoughts that I wanted to share. Thank you. Other thoughts? Ms. Gregory? So trust in God was uh, difficult. It was easier to trust in the world or in Egypt to provide that food rather than have faith in a God they couldn't see, to trust in him. Yeah, they were used to it coming from a certain source, right? This has all changed. Other thoughts? Fran? The... Um I, I'm wondering, how good was the food in Egypt as slaves? Right. That's a good point. Never thought of that before. Uh, I'm looking at this uh, from a, a lack of belief in their promises that they've been praying to Yahweh for and, and deliverance and help. And they had actually preferred death by him uh, when satisfied in Mitzrayim or in Egypt uh, on all the stuff they were getting, meat and bread, they would prefer death versus death in the desert, hungry. So in either, both instances, they're asking for death yeah. instead of relying on the promises they've been praying for and the, the deliverance that they received. It was just amazing. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's almost as though they didn't know what life is, right? I mean, they're, they're, I'm, we tend to forget, we criticize them, but they were absolute slaves. And... You know, their perspective is going to be affected that way. Right. It's actually a lack of faith, which stems from a fear of the unknown and uh, 
they, they were more comfortable with what, what a routine, regardless of how um, pa painful it may have been, than the uncertainty of the future. This room is, this side of the room is dominating. I think it shows what people are like when they have been so long without understanding of God. It's kind of like the frog in the water. Being slaves, they had been for such a long time that it wasn't even unusual. So coming out of it, they didn't even know how to live because their, like he said, their routines were more familiar. Yeah. I think it's interesting how it shows the humanity, uh, or shall we say the human side, and how human experiences numbs our memories. Uh, I mean, how forgetful they were. And we're talking about you know, seeking, uh, you know, basic things like food and water and, you know, maintaining their leadership. And those are small things, if you think about it. I mean, they're, they're very important and big things, but those are so small in comparison to what they had just experienced. And so God did all of these miracles in front of them, and yet they're worried about these little things that obviously God could sustain them with. Uh, and they're forgetful. Yeah. Forgetful is what really came up to me. Uh, this was also a test for them. Were they going to obey? Yeah. Because they were going to receive this bread up to six days and then a double portion, and then they would have to gather that, and they wouldn't be able to gather anything on the Sabbath. So also throughout this time, this 40 years that they wandered in the wilderness, this was continually being given to them and it should have built their faith that God was going to provide. And imagine going 40 years and not believing that God was going to take care of them. It's just one of those things that's really hard to kind of comprehend sometimes. And he was going to take care of them. I mean, uh, but they started it out with a complaint, didn't they? I mean, it, and it became a test. I wonder if it, if it would have been a test had they just had patience and waited and he would have delivered whatever they needed if they had that faith. Renee? Oh, I'm sorry. The thing to me, most of, was the attitude. They didn't want to ask for it. They wanted it there. You know, when it wasn't there, instead of saying, you know, instead of bringing it to God, because God never did far as I can tell, promise that it'll just show up. You know, when whenever Jesus said, you know, ask day by day for our daily bread, you know, we, we have to seek God for it. But their attitude was everything, if it wasn't there, they were just automatically upset. Yeah. And being one who's real good at being automatically upset. Pretty <laughs> <laughs> Just as an aside, um, the, the passage where Moses is on the mountain and God sees what's happening with the golden calf and God's response to Moses, I don't know if it's, it's different in the original Hebrew, but in English it reads really funny to me where 
God says, those people, your people who you brought out of Egypt, and it's, it's just like a parent, like a, a mother saying to the father, your son just made a mess in, your, in the backyard. It's, it's, uh, it's just humorous almost because you can see God's personal interaction with these people and his personal frustration with their lack of trust. Right. Well, speaking of the golden calf, you know, uh, one, when I wrote my answer to that um, passage for exa- Exodus 32, uh, it's what Mr. Gregory said, is that they were wanting a God that they could see but they couldn't give them anything instead of a God that they couldn't see that had already provided them everything. I mean, it's just that, that human nature is, is incredible. Larry? Is this on? Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> um, I'd like to express appreciation. Uh, really, I think to Steve, because he's the one that decided to do this, to have a, an interaction study where it's not coming from just one way, but it's either it's coming from both ways, and I think it's going to. I think it can be a very positive thing, be happening in a church fellowship. Okay, back on what the lesson we're dealing with. What kind of environment did they come out of, and uh, how much of the knowledge did did they have? It's, I think it's nothing compared to what we have, what God has shown to us, the knowledge that has been, we've been given, and God has, and so much of it is, is have indelved in, my, in our minds. I'm not, I think they had a no, disobedience problem, but who's, who in here doesn't have that at some times? <laughs> I think if we're truthful and honest with ourselves, we all, all fall short and we miss the mark. We sin, and that's what they... They come out of a different environment, and how much help the were did they have? Where in this age and time, we have access and available to us God's help, and that's a that's a makes a major total world of difference. Having His help in our lives now, in the journey that we're on. Thank you. Thanks, Larry. So that leads on to uh, the question about how how do we relate to their experience? Uh, does anybody have any thoughts about that? Because Larry just touched on that. There's, there's the element of obedience that seems to be throughout Israel's experience in faith. How does that relate to us? How did it relate to you? They're looking at making a God, but then they're probably going to make up the rules that go along with him. So it was totally different having a living God say, do this, don't do that. They didn't want to be told what they didn't want to hear. And I think that's kind of where a lot of modern-day Christians are. They go where it's comfortable, and they don't have to make too many decisions against what they don't want to do. One of the crises of faith that we experience is despair. And that despair comes when we realize, regardless of how hard we try, we keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. 
and there doesn't seem to be any way that we can conquer uh, those um, particular problems. Right. Mark? Yeah, carrying on after you, Reg, in, in a similar vein, in the sense of someone who's grieving for loss of a loved one, and most of us here have experienced that. Um, I first did when my brother-in-law died in a car crash back in 91, and I was, uh, I was young at the time, but that really asked a lot of questions to my sister, losing her husband so tragically like that, with a 15-month-old baby. And then last year, my sister died of breast cancer. So when these things happen, we're not, we're not, we, 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 it's natural to ask questions. Why? Why now? Why this person? And, but it, it's, it's always a test of faith, test of our strength to pull through this incredible trial um, that God gives us. But trust in him belief in him and his word that we will see them again someday and that's what I always look forward to and, and remind my family members that we will see them again someday and so just uh, another question maybe for you to answer uh, just thinking about that because I experienced that too I asked all these questions you know uh, when my dad died why 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 that way why not at home with his family around him all, all those questions why are those questions a lack of faith I don't know if they're necessarily specifically a lack of faith or I think it's just natural to ask questions. Um, but it, it can also, going through the process can strengthen our faith. Right. Um, but I think it is natural specifically to ask questions. Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily a lack of faith because you want to just be finding out facts. You want to be saying, frankly, could you be looking to blame someone right. in that circumstance? I don't think it's a lack of faith. Yeah, I agree with Mark and Darla on that. And I think one of the problems is we lack patience. And, you know, we want God on our timetable. I'm hungry. Where's my food? I'm thirsty. Where's my water? Uh, where are you? I'm going to build something to represent you. And, you know, from time immemorial, even today, in our personal lives, it's the same way. We just have to be patient. You know, you're in that specific question of is it a lack of faith to have those conversations with God? I'd say it's the exact opposite. I think God wants to enter into our despair. He wants to be there with us. He wants to grieve and suffer with us in the way that we, his son did while we go through those. And, you know, on the other end of it, it for me, it, it has to be the resolution of you know, your will be done, not my will be done. But it's not a despair or a stoicism of, well, this is just the way it is, and you better make the best of it. It's comforting in his presence through that despair and grief and, and in those moments you can be the closest that you ever have been to God and so I think in a lot of ways having those hard conversations with God is demonstrating your faith and reliance upon him you know the opposite would be turning away from him and just saying I'm going to do this on my own this is as good as it gets I'm going to make it the best that I can who needs you if you're going to make me go through this 
and I, I think that's the risk of, of those those situations. I kind of agree with what Trevor just said because I kind of look at life's experience, including even losing a mate or a loved one, that it's his way of bringing us closer to him uh, in faith and helping us to uh, not have a lack of faith, but help to develop more faith, and in particular, uh, his love, the love that he has for us, the love we experience that loss, and by experiencing that loss, and uh, I think it helps us to uh, have an association with those that maybe have had even worse experiences uh, than what we've had as individuals. Uh, I mean, I lost a cat, and it's like I lost my only child. You know, I'm not married, so I can't lose a child, but it makes me think in consideration how traumatic it is for someone to actually lose a child. And so that helps me relate to God and his love and to have associations with other people whose experiences I have never had. This is kind of going in a different direction, but with the question about how sometimes we can lack in faith. Uh, for me, sometimes it's... Uh, thinking that God doesn't care about certain things in life. Like, for example, uh, maybe I'm struggling with something. Maybe something's going on at work, uh, and I'm having a really hard time. And so sometimes I feel like I can kind of go through life like as if like I'm just, you know, living, like, almost like I'm not including God in all of my problems. And one of the things that sometimes mentally I have this issue of, of, of realizing, you know, God wants you to cast all of your problems upon him. And one of the things I lack faith in in that is that kind of going on what you guys are talking about, losing a loved one, is it's almost like subconsciously I will think, well, why would I want to pray to God about this? It's so mundane. Why would he care? I mean, my next door neighbor has cancer, terminal cancer, and is dying. You know, and, and, and I'm sitting here complaining about this struggle with this work project or complaining about this struggle with uh, this little, what I think is a mundane thing in life. And so I think that it, it, the lack of faith can actually come in different subtle ways in life. They can be the big things. Obviously, those are the big triggers in our lives. Lo losing a loved one, being diagnosed with something very serious that's causing you uh, pain or a loved one pain or discomfort. But I think also the lack of faith can come in those subtle ways where we forget that God wants to be with us in everything. Not just the big things, but also the small things, the small steps. So. One of the things that I noticed, uh, when you come through a, a severe trial and you have trusted in God through that trial, that, that strengthens your faith. I think that's part of, of it. And I've experienced a few things in my life that have brought me to that conclusion. I don't look to men for, for my faith. I, I look to God for my faith. I hope everyone in this room does the same thing, that we are looking to him for our strength and our faith, and that we are determined and, and strengthened by that and, and not weakened by it. So that when we do, go, do have problems and trials and tribulations come in our life, we look to him, and, and when we get through it, when we come on the other side of it, it has strengthened us and given us a stronger you know, uh, faith in that particular area. 
I think that relationships in general leave us feeling vulnerable. And feeling vulnerable is not comfortable, it's hard. And so when we do that, we have to open ourselves up and to be closer to God. Sometimes we take the easier route and unknowingly can be susceptible to turning back to the, and even embracing the shackles and the chains that Satan has already placed upon us, you know. Yeah, we're willing to go back to our own Egypt, right? Because we knew how to do things there. Uh, we knew how to get it done and not have to trust in somebody. Um, I've used it this time together. We're, able, we're here to express how we view things or maybe God has shown to us. And concerning this matter of death, I think God, God just totally has control over a person's life. At least that's what he says. Our lives, all human lives are in, is, in, is in his hands if you go to Job 12. And, but God does allow things to happen. And the way I'm viewing at this point in my life is that he has a reason for what he does or allows to have happen and to take place. And whether we'll never find that out until we, have, until we actually <laughs> talk to him and, and ask him a lot of questions. I'm sure, because I'm sure there's others in here that you feel that way about some things too. You're going to ask him why some things are. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. So just we're uh, <laughs> we're we've already been at this 30 minutes. It seems like it's been five minutes, and we've got 15, 18 minutes left. Um, so this is great. Uh, we're not clearly going to get all the way to the end, but I wanted to just kind of switch gears a little bit and just talk about, you know, in John 6 and John 4 and then in 1 John 2, we have examples of Jesus providing, God providing for our very basic needs, right? And, and that goes to Curtis's point, lots of our points, which is he takes care of the basics, He's interested in the absolute basic things that we need. Why do we think that he wouldn't care about the more complicated things in our life? You know, and I think we all do it. I found myself doing that. How has your relationship with God, how has Jesus specifically helped you in those areas? As we, we talked about what our weaknesses are, and are, we're prone to these kind of behaviors. But what's the positive side of that? Can anybody give some examples, be willing to share some examples of how we've had those seemingly small requests taken care of? Or even big requests taken care of? Fran, and then Mark. I went through a bout of depression. And um, you were talking about you know, you you have things that you work and work and work, and you still struggle and struggle and struggle. And uh, Satan let me know that you know what, you're not going to make it because you're you you keep doing the same stupid thing. And I was at church in Oklahoma City. Someone was speaking, and they turned us to uh, where God allowed ha ask Israel to go over into the Promised Land. And it just struck me, and I know that was God, that 
they didn't not go into the promised land because of their sins that they had committed. It was their refusal. They had made the choice. And it dawned on me, it's up to me. If I, as long as I desire to be in God's kingdom, it's not going to matter. He will make, make a way for me to be there. And that was a, a huge load lifted off my shoulders. That I felt like God was there. Yeah, um, for me, there's been a few examples in my life of where I've, I guess, smaller than um, losing a loved one was work and jobs. In the sense of, I thought after being a carpenter for 11 years, that was going to be my path, and then God showed me another path, and I lost a couple of different various jobs here in the Tulsa area, and it was like every time I did lose a job, there was a reason I was losing that one job. He was showing me the direction to this particular job and that didn't particularly work out so then he showed me another direction so here this last job I, I got which I started last year almost a year ago um, I'm in a much better place and I'm hoping this is the kind of job like I've told some people here I'll, I'll have for the rest of my working life if you find the right place and I've seen I've had faith in God that he would lead me and guide me the right way to the likes of a job it may seem mundane but it's important for sustaining your family and having an income and I've seen his hand guide me the last uh, I don't know 10-15 years and I think it's turned out in the right way by faith in him and in Christ Jesus uh, Carol you spoke of small things so I'm gonna give you two examples I at one point used to play the piano and when my first child was born, I had a desire to play and kind of show him. And, of course, we were poor. There was no way I could get a piano. And one particular day, one of the people at the college were, said, we're moving to a trailer, and I've got this piano, and it cannot, the floor won't support it. Until we can get a better house, does anybody want to put this in their home for me? And for about six months, we were blessed. And one other time, uh, I was out of milk. And like I said, you know, you young marrieds don't always have the cash to run down to the store. And um, the neighbor said, we're going on vacation, and I've got this milk and butter and some other things, if you want them. And the thing that hits you, that overwhelms you, is that you immediately know God heard and knew your need. So those are two simple things, but not simple in a way. Yeah, they're powerful, and they've strengthened your faith. We have those to fall back on, right, when we do question. Right. Uh, just one, one small thing and one large thing. Small thing about three weeks ago at home, I said to my sister, I wonder who invented donuts. And I, and I, I came to church and I was talking with Barnabas out in front, of, in front of the church and he was getting ready to leave. We finished our conversation and we weren't even talking about donuts. He takes about three steps away, he turns around and he says, oh, by the way, Art, 
you know who invented donuts? And, <laughs> and, he, and he proceeds to tell me who invented donuts. So I, I think God was listening into my discussion with my sister earlier in the day. Be careful uh, what you talk about at home. <laughs> um, the other thing was a larger thing which uh, Mark was talking about, and that was work. From the time that I got out of college, I, as I was saying to Matthew earlier, I had two months worth of money, and I, I had to find a job within two months, and it came just about to the end of those two months. And the job that I got, you know, Pat Dennis used to say, God is a just-in-time God. And I had the thoughts, well, if I don't get a job in the next week, I'm going to go back to New York. Well, that week, I had talked to the pastor already of the church. And he said, well, we have people working at Zenith Electronics. Why don't you try there? So I went there, and uh, the guy I interviewed with, he, uh, his job description and what he was doing fit exactly into what I had done back in school. And to such a specific degree that when we were in our last semester, we had to design and build a, a certain electronics project. It was our own selection. It just turned out that the same components that I used in my project were the exact pro uh, components that they were using on this job. And so when the guy talked about it, I could relate to him immediately. And I knew my, I had a job, you know? And so that's not a big thing. And he was with me and I used, I used to look at my career as every day when I'd go into work was an opportunity to develop myself spiritually some aspect of it. And I'd meditate about that at night and how, how to handle those situations. So I think, you know, it's all a matter of using those things positively because there's a scripture that says, there's one scripture that says, be perfect as your Father in is in heaven and is, is perfect. And then there's another one that says, um, because you've been faithful in a few things. So the attitude is strive to become perfect but at the same time, recognize you probably never really get there, but it's the attitude of wanting to be there. So anyway. David, and then we'll move on to the next section here. Uh, this is about faith and fear, and uh, just a little story. When we were in Texas, 1993, I think it was, um, I'm sitting in church, and, and uh, I'm wondering where I'm, at, where I'm at in this walk, and is there more to this walk, this, this Christian walk, this, this following? And um, just looking at the people in the congregation and just looking at my wife and my family and, and wondering, has got to be more to this walk? And I uh, question God's reality. I mean, I've been raised Catholic, and this is, I'm in the late 20s, and anyways. Um, but he showed me it's not about them. It's not about the church. It's not about anything. It's about him. And it's about his word to us. The scriptures, uh, the succulent morsels that are life. Trust and have belief and expectation in his promises. And he showed me his word, and I was encouraged. I, I'm just, you know, emotional now thinking about his word to us and how, it, again, you can't rely on someone else or something else or some other organization. It's him and you and his word. And through music, you know, positive Christian music and those words and, and praise and evangelism with my family and others and pastoring my family and working with youth and praying and teaching with my lovely bride and pressing in even to Africa for a season. I've learned to be fearless and it's because of his word. I, I, my wife, she talks to me and she's, you know, sometimes worrisome. Sometimes you hear other people worry and I, I just, I, I'm fearless knowing that he's on our side. Who can be against us? Um, well, we're not given the spirit of fear, but the power of love. God is love. Trust him. 
There's no holding back. Excellent, David. Thank you. I think the other David had a point. Thank you. I appreciate all the comments that have been made so far. Uh, I do want to give a little dittos to Mr. McGarvey, what he was saying about, you know, different opportunities, jobs, situations. Sometimes you really don't know for maybe years down the line uh, certain things that happened in your life, and you look back and you see the hand of God, you think, well, if I had done this, would I be doing this now? Would You know, what would I have been? And Fran and I got married at age 18, and I don't recommend anyone to do that, you know, in this day and age, although I would, I would do it all over again at, back in those days. But uh, we had a firm belief that uh, the Bible was the Word of God, even though, you know, we didn't keep the Sabbath for a number of years, but... Uh, you know, the scriptures, when it says, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all of these necessary things will be added to you. We believe that, and and uh, just like Mark and some of the others, you know, uh, I didn't know why we lost a job. I was a good worker, you know, and, and I'd lost two or three good jobs over the years, not to my own uh, things that I did. But anyway, a lot of bad things that happen in your life you'll never know until maybe years later. And... But, you have to, we have to believe that this is the word of God and we're doing the best we can and, and like Brandon alluded to a while ago he that started a good work in us will complete it he will finish the work he's done in us and, and all we have to do is continue to strive and do it I'm reminded Joseph and how it was many years until he realized that you know kind of summarize that story Joseph at the end says you know you did this for evil but God allowed it for good. You know? So, um, in the last five minutes that we have left here, <laughs> we're halfway through our lesson. But, you know, the, the, the great thing about it is that we've already all done the lesson, right? And so we're just, we're just sharing uh, our thoughts here. What about this concept that's introduced in Hebrews uh, chapter 3, one, 1 through 6? It's, it's where um, the writer is talking about the house that Jesus is building. Right? Moses was faithful, but really in a very small way, by comparison to Jesus, that he was faithful and his building a house of faith. I don't know if you guys have looked at it that way, but what were your thoughts on that? About what, what Jesus is building in us together as it relates to faith. We all have our individual faith experiences, and we've talked about that but maybe we can just kind of close and talk about how Jesus is building us into a house of faith, this church of faith. And churches have, you know, a lack of faith. I mean, if people can, then surely churches can. If people can have strong, capable faith and work in that faith, then churches can do incredible things too. So any thoughts on that? Trevor? So just a few thoughts I had on that. I hadn't really put that together before on Hebrews 3.1 about Jesus built the house, Moses was the house. And then he talked about, well, what's the house that Jesus is building now? And obvious, at least to me, it was the, the church, you know, the gathering out ones of those called out from the world and the body of Christ, which would be the bride of Christ. And so there just seemed to be this parallel between, you know, Israel was the house, Moses, that was being built then, and then now, now Jesus is building, you know, his bride um, and the called out ones 
which which we all are together, you know, making up this part. So th those are just the thoughts that I had on that. Side has been quiet over here. Uh, Renee. And there's also the element of the on a very personal note, not just the the spiritual house that encompasses all of us as if each of us are bricks, but then there's our personal house, which is our physical body being transformed into a spiritual body. And I think you and I had talked about this regarding the, the death of the physical body in the wilderness and then the, the birth of the new creature coming out of the wilderness into the, the new life. Yeah. Had you guys seen that before? Uh, I, I had never really seen it before until I was doing the study, which was that our own individual life is like the old generation of the Israelites that came out of that wilderness, or came out of Egypt, right, into the wilderness, but kind of died in the wilderness, not having the faith enough to go into promised land. Uh, you know, they should have gone from Pentecost into the promised land. That should have been it. End of story. You guys have any thoughts on that? I just wanted to add on the house. Uh, I think you asked about the house that Jesus is building. Who is that or what is that house? Um, adding on to what you're saying, it says in the scriptures, we are his house. If we hold fast to the boldness and the boasting of the hope or the expectation firm to the end, which is exactly what you said. We have to continue pressing yeah. on and remember that if statement that we are his house. Yeah, yeah. And that, you kind of think about that further, think about the generation that grew up in the wilderness, that were born in the wilderness. They had to deal with the, you know, the old generation that had this faithless attitude that we're not going to enter into the land. And we're living with our our old human nature, aren't we? We're, 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 we're kind of a split personality, but the new creature in Christ is looking forward to that. Seeing that there were two who were faithful, Caleb and Joshua. Yeah. And, they, and they received the reward. Uh, I guess you could say Joshua received a reward. He became the leader of the, those that, that went over. Um, and at the end, he said, as for me and my family, we're going to follow God no matter what. And so he, he, was, he was a good leader for that. And he was a faithful leader, and Caleb also. But the rest of them fell in the wilderness. Anyone else? Curtis? And to kind of uh, pick up on what Larry was talking about earlier, I think it's real easy for us to look back at the Israelites and say, man, look at those stiff-necked people. Uh, boy, they sure were stubborn. And here we have two, you know, uh, 4,000 plus years. We have the hindsight 2020. We get to see all the things basically in front of us and before us all at one time where they were a part of the story and they were awaiting. And the story was, I mean, the story is still being built right now or still being told right now and being written, but they... You know, it, 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 to me, it was a t it's a testimony, it's a, it's, a, it's a reminder not to, like, sink into that, you know, oh, well, that's how they were, but surely, you know, we as Christians, we're not like that. Uh, whereas, I think that when it comes to faith and when it comes to, you know, thinking about our journey as we are on, it's something we have to always be vigilant about, uh, like Matt was talking about, like he brought out in the study. And which is a very, very, very New Testament idea, is that wilderness man, 
that old man, I mean, it's still that old woman is still with us, uh, unfortunately, uh, and, and, or, or, or uh, tries to creep back in, and we have to fight against that. So I think it's very pertinent for us to, to, to be reminded of just how easy it is to sink back into that mindset of wanting to turn back to Egypt. So I'd like to just close with uh, maybe a few, few answers to, the, to the, the biggest question that's in here, I think is, what do you say faith is? If somebody was to ask you, well, what is faith? What did you put for that answer? That was on page 10, if you at the bottom of page 10, if you wrote an answer for that. What would you say faith is? No wrong answer. Trevor? Christ above all, and then uh, overcome tremendous odds. Those are just a few, few thoughts that came to mind on that. Thank you. Ron? Yes, it is. There it is. I just wrote down believing what Jesus said and then doing his work. David? Uh, I'm just going to read this. It's trusting in the awesome power and plan of Yahweh and his son, uh, Yeshua Messiah. The power and plans for eternal life. Trust in his word and his creative genius in nature, his, the laws of nature. Reducing myself to the awe of a child with that kind of heart and trust. Knowing it will be bad, but then everlasting life. Amen. Larry, last comment. Oh, okay, thank you. Um, if you look up in the dictionary, called faith is also can be referred to as your religion. If you look at that's what one of the definitions of faith. But um, I know we're talking about the other part, the other definition. And to me, um, it also can be the confidence that God can give you and gives you that what He says it's going to happen, it's going to take place, and He can give you peace of mind that it's going to that may that. Maybe what you're thinking is bad is going to happen, but he can change and turn that thing around, turn it around, and and give you comfort and peace that this bad thing is not going to happen to you. I I have experienced this in my life. It's true to me anyway. Just sharing it with you. Thank you. So just to close uh, my thoughts on on this question, uh, I, I think I've already been said. Faith is the ongoing commitment to follow Jesus Christ works, obedience, trust, and humility. All of the questions that Israel asked of God could have been asked in a different tone. Hey, uh, we're hungry. Can, can God provide for us? Hey, we're thirsty. Lord, will you please provide for us? It's humility, isn't it? We can ask all the why questions. We can ask, why did you allow this to happen? Why did this happen? But our tone, our humility, I think, is vital in, in our in our Christian walk. In that last passage that you have in your uh, study there, Hebrews 11:32 through uh, Hebrews 12:2, I hope you filled in your name in there because that's what the blank was for. So if you haven't, it should read, and what more shall I say for the time would fail to, to tell to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah 
and also of David and Samuel and you. Thanks, brethren, and we'll take a 10-minute break, and then we'll be back for service. Oh, yes. Let's hand those out real quick.